You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Horse will subscribe afflicted Android users to premium services they never knew they'd signed up for. Facebook releases a static analysis tool. Speculation about what put Group IB's CEO in hot water with the Kremlin. A look from NSA about where the major nation-state cyber threats currently stand. Malek Ben Salem from Accenture has thoughts on quantum security. Our guest is author and Wired editor-at-large Stephen Levy, who joins us with insights on Facebook's internal research teams and a short census of ransomware strains. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, September 30th, 2021. Security firm Zimperium late yesterday described the activities of a massive Android scam campaign they're calling Grift Horse. Around 10 million devices worldwide have been affected, and losses could amount to hundreds of millions of euros. It's a premium service scam in which the crooks use malicious apps and not the customary phishing to enroll users in paid services they don't want. The name Grift Horse presumably comes from Gift Horse, like the one you proverbially shouldn't look in the mouth, and that might as well be the favorite proverb of social engineers everywhere. At any rate, Zimperium's description of Grift Horse is instructive. The bait, as is so often the case, is the proffer of a free prize, one you need only claim for it to be yours. The crooks work to lull users into gullibility and complacent acceptance, Zimperium says, quote, Overall, Grift Horse Android Trojan takes advantage of small screens, local trust, and misinformation to trick users into downloading and installing these Android Trojans. As well, frustration or curiosity when accepting the fake free prize spammed into their notification screens. End quote. In all honesty, it's the sort of thing many would fall for. Zimperium says the campaign has targeted millions of users from over 70 countries by serving selective malicious pages to users based on the geolocation of their IP address with the local language. This social engineering trick is exceptionally successful, considering users might feel more comfortable sharing information to a website in their local language. 
The infection, note, is the android malware that serves the victim the pop-ups. Upon infection, the report says, the victim is bombarded with alerts on the screen, letting them know they'd won a prize and needed to claim it immediately. These pop-ups reappear no less than five times per hour until the application user successfully attempts the offer. Upon accepting the invitation for the prize, the malware redirects the victim to a geo-specific webpage where they're asked to submit their phone numbers for verification. But in reality, they are submitting their phone number to a premium SMS service that would start charging their phone bill over 30 euros per month. The victim does not immediately notice the impact of the theft and the likelihood of it continuing for months before detection is high, with little to no recourse to get one's money back. The proprietors of Grifthorse have avoided hard-coding URLs or reusing the same domains, both of which have made their malware relatively difficult to detect. They target different geographical regions differently, and, quote, this check on the server side evades dynamic analysis checking for network communication and behaviors, end quote. Zimperium warned Google about the malicious apps before the researchers went public with their findings, and Google has ejected the bad apps from the Play Store. That's a good thing, but it's far from representing a permanent removal of Grift Horse. As Wired quotes Zimperium's CEO, Sridhar Mittal, quote, These attackers are organized and professional. They set this up as a business, and they're not just going to move on. I'm certain this was not a one-time thing. End quote. Facebook has open-sourced its Mariana Trench static analysis tool, used within the company to find security flaws in Java and Android applications. Bleeping Computer notes that this is the third security-focused static analysis kit Facebook has released. TASS has been authorized to disclose a bit more about the treason charges Russian authorities have brought against Group IB's CEO Ilya Sakov this week. A source tells the outlet that, quote, the investigation suspects Sakov of handing over classified information on cybersecurity to foreign intelligence agencies, end quote. Which intelligence service employed him isn't being revealed because TASS's source says they don't want to compromise an ongoing investigation. But TASS observes that there are a number of unnamed possibilities. There are indeed. Russia's got a lot of beefs with a lot of foreign countries but it would be premature to assume that this is a clear good-faith prosecution. Sakoff, as Christopher Burgess points out in an interesting piece in Security Boulevard, isn't some unknown or minor figure. His company may now be headquartered in Singapore, but he's also a regular consultant to the Duma, Russia's parliament. As recently as two years ago, he received the Russian Federation's Big Business Award from President Putin himself and was photographed with Mr. Putin on the occasion. Group IB's offense may be the appearance that it had been too cozy with the FBI. Sakov's company, and especially one of its executives, Nikita Kilitsin, cooperated with the Bureau in the investigation of Yevgeny Nikulin, a Russian the U.S. indicted in 2020 for the 2014 compromise of Formspring and LinkedIn. Burgess writes, quote, Group IB, as well as Kalitskin, cooperated with the U.S. investigation, making themselves available for interviews with the FBI in the U.S. Embassy in Moscow. During that meeting, according to Radio Free Europe, Kalitskin said he was open to collaboration and wished to mitigate any problems. 
Of particular note is Kalitsyn's revelation that a Russian hacker had worked with the Russian Federal Security Service, the FSB, to obtain compromising information on unnamed individuals. End quote. So it may be the implications of privateering, or at least coziness, with the FSB that Group IB people appear to have given the FBI that put the organs' noses out of joint. Various government and industry bigwigs have been out in Aspen, Colorado, swapping thoughts on matters cyber. NSA's Rob Joyce reviewed the current state of play with respect to the Familiar Four, as seen from Fort Meade. The record glosses his remarks as follows, quote, Russian state hackers are disruptive and are doing intelligence gathering on critical infrastructure and governments. Hackers backed by Beijing are off the charts in terms of their scope and scale. Iran's hackers are often very focused on regional things right now, but they're dangerous because they're less judicious in what they decide is a reasonable action, end quote. So some wild and crazy guys are out and about from Tehran. And the North Koreans? They're out for the cash, still active, still a threat, very capable, but mostly focused on crypto exchanges and creating money. And finally, Bitdefender's latest monthly threat report, released yesterday, notes the resurfacing of Arevil under its familiar name. The report also counts some 250 active ransomware strains, which is a lot, especially given the challenge of survivor bias, duly noted by Bitdefender, and the difficulties of individuating things as slippery as bad actors. Anyway, their name is Legion, and to draw a conclusion the report doesn't, a look at the countries targeted suggests that half to two-thirds of Legion probably have a letter of mark from 24 Kuznetsky Most, not far from Ulitsa Lubyanka. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
The Wall Street Journal recently published an investigative series examining Facebook, and one of the areas they focused on was the social media giant's own internal research. Stephen Levy is editor-at-large at Wired, where he writes the column Plain Text. He's also author of a number of best-selling books, including his latest, Facebook, The Inside Story. I caught up with Stephen Levy on our Caveat Law and Policy podcast. Well, research uh, started pretty early in Facebook's history. They were watching what people did almost from the get-go, but in 2006, they hired a really bright uh, person named Jeff Hammerbacher to make the uh, all the data very you know, easy to search. And you know, they, they created this infrastructure that uh, allowed them to take the data and do all kinds of research. And they began to hire uh, social scientists and statisticians to make the research more in a more organized fashion. Interestingly, research was part of the organization at Facebook that was devoted to growth. So a lot of the research uh, was devoted to ways that people would stay on longer to Facebook and help them discover not only ways that people might use Facebook better, a lot of companies in Silicon Valley use researchers to test how well you use the product, what you might want to do in the product that you can't do, what you have difficulty doing. But in terms of Facebook, they also figured out how the algorithm would work to keep you using it more. And one of the big breakthroughs that happened in, in research was when they discovered how things can go viral on the system. And they published a paper on it uh, called Gesundheit, because like a sneeze, certain things can go viral. And they thought that was the greatest thing ever. And they never realized, the researchers who published that, that really is the key not only to fun things going viral, but uh, as it turns out, some things that create anger or divisiveness or just misinformation is harmful. So uh, the research is sort of a mixed bag there. Is this ultimately just about growth and, and money and, and profits? I mean, why do you suppose they're so hesitant to make meaningful changes here? Well, growth is the North Star at Facebook. In, in my book, I, I devoted a lot of time to tell, for the first time, the, the story of Facebook's growth circle, they called it, um, which used all kinds of means, some of them pretty dicey, to get and retain users. Um, and that is the key to, to, to Facebook, really. Um, and it's, money is important because, you know, that enables Facebook to spend money to grow more and retain more, more users. It is connecting the whole world, which is important to Facebook. And to do that um, in light of competition from places uh, now like TikTok that draws people away from Instagram and Facebook, probably those TikTok users aren't using the Facebook main app anyway. And you know, there's only a certain amount of time people spend in a day. So that is really important. And it, as it turned out, when push came to shove in certain ways, the way Zuckerberg chose to look at it was to say, wait a minute, um, a fifth of our users, the teenage girls using Instagram, you know, it makes them feel bad aggravates your mental health problems, that means like four-fifths are doing great, right? Hmm. So let's go with that. But obviously, a fifth of the teenage girls who use Instagram represent millions of people, quite literally. So 
there's something really wrong if your researchers come to you and if you look at these slides, it's almost like they're begging the leadership of Facebook to do something about it. You know, you're saying our product is making millions of teenage girls feel bad. And some of them with mental health problems are seeing these problems aggravated by it. That's a serious problem for a company to make the lives of millions of teenage girls miserable or worse. Even You would think that all steps, any step possible will be taken to change that situation. But in this case, at least according to the journal reporting, that those steps weren't taken. It was saying, well, you know, gee, if, if, if we change that, people would use Instagram less. Where do you suppose things have to go for us to see meaningful change here? Is this uh, something where we could see, if Facebook doesn't make effective change themselves, perhaps we'll see some regulation? I think it's more likely um, the more we see leaks like this coming out, um, which uh, isn't, let's say it's in the category of shocking but not surprising. Mm. The, the, uh, uh, people don't really expect Facebook to be dealing honestly with them anymore. Certainly the legislators that are trying to get information out of them, the regulators um, don't think that. There's a whole class of, of skeptics and critics of Facebook who wouldn't be surprised by this. The independent board that Facebook set up, whose job it was basically to rule, to rule on decisions that Facebook made that people are challenging, overstepped their charter intentionally and said, wait a minute, we want to get into this. We want to look into this. So they're going rogue in a way, which is kind of interesting. I think ultimately this pressure is going to lead Facebook to make some changes, maybe not willingly. That's author Stephen Levy. His most recent book is titled Facebook, The Inside Story. You can hear the rest of my interview with Stephen Levy on this week's CyberWire Caveat podcast. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Malek Ben-Salem. She's the Technology Research Director at Accenture. Malek, it is always great to have you back. Um, I want to touch today on some work that I know you are involved with, uh, with quantum security and safety. What can you share with us today? Yeah, I wanted to, to talk to your audience about a question that I typically receive when, when I have conversations with my clients around quantum safety and, and quantum readiness. Um, as you know, Dave, um, 
you know, we talk about the quantum threat, uh, the mm-hmm. threat of a universal quantum computer that is able to um, break um, our current encryption schemes that rely on integer factorization, right? Mm. And, mm-hmm. and that, um, so it will be able to break the most popular public key algorithms such as RSA and our digital signature algorithms, et cetera. Right. Um, and, and the way of dealing or preparing for that quantum threat is uh, to use post-quantum crypto algorithms that are, you know, quantum safe or mm-hmm. to uh, rely on, on this other approach known as quantum key distribution where, um, you know, uh, organizations can distribute keys through a quantum channel. So, so not classical keys, but, but quantum keys. And that provides basically the ability to ensure that those keys have not been tampered with and they would not be at the risk of being factorized or um, decrypted uh, if, uh, if a, a threat actor is eavesdropping. Uh-huh. The typical question that I get from clients is, you know, what are, do I need both? Uh, or is it okay to just choose one approach to be quantum safe versus the other? Hmm. Um, and uh, my answer is that there, you, you probably or most folks will need both, um, because they're complementary. So hmm. post quantum crypto again relies on, um, certain mathematical assumptions. They're not the same as the ones we've been, you know, relying on to build RSA, for instance. Uh, they're new mathematical assumptions, but they eventually are dependent on those mathematical assumptions and are as strong, only as strong as those assumptions are. A number of uh, algorithms are being evaluated uh, by the research community, the crypto research community. Um, NIST is enabling that. Um, and NIST is expected to announce a, you know, the winner of, of that assessment or what will be potentially the new crypto standard by 2024. Hmm. So that's one approach. And, you know, organizations can already, you know, implement those algorithms, try them out in their environments, understand the, the, the their computational overhead and, you know, the latency that they introduce in comparison to existing crypto. But QKD, uh, you know, relies not on the mathematical assumptions, but on the quantum um, properties, the mechanical properties or the quantum physics properties, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that can provide this, um, you know, tamper evidence uh, property when keys are distributed. However, post-quantum crypto is more, uh, you know, can, can deal with scale, right? Uh, can be scaled to the, the scale of the internet, uh, versus QKD, uh, has some, uh, physical limitations because it's a link. It's based on a link to link transmission. So there is a limited number of qubits that can be transmiss- transmitted, uh, on a, on a line. And so there's basically physical limitations. Hmm. So, yeah, so that, that's why I think um, for companies, for most use cases, you'll need both. Um, and uh, it's also a good practice to defend in layers. So to have both QKD, quantum key distribution, 
uh, PQC, post-quantum crypto, and also QRNG, quantum random number generation, together, uh, all in one strategy and, and uh, all in one defense and in-depth strategy uh, going forward. You know, we, we've been talking about uh, this coming you know, quantum revolution or, or threat, however you want to look at it, uh, for a few years now. And it, I, my recollection is a couple years ago, it was really a hot topic. Um, and it seems like things have sort of settled in and, and people are taking very practical approaches these days. Where are we in terms of uh, the, the the computational heavy lift versus you know Moore's law making all, everything get a little faster? Um, you know, by the time this is ready for widespread uh, distribution, are we going to be in a good place in terms of uh, it not being too much of a burden to to uh, transition to? I think that is a great question. Um, Knowing how long these transitions take, particularly mm. crypto, right? <laughs> Whenever you're changing standards in crypto or changing algorithms in crypto, we've seen this over and over. Um, they take years, if not decades. And I go back to the example of DNSSEC being deployed. Uh, hmm. We still see DNS servers that uh, are not using the DNSSEC protocol, even though that is a simpler change, right? Uh, but now with, let's say, post-quantum crypto, you know, organizations would have to upgrade thousands of applications, right? And certificates and you name it. So again, the transitions take years. So I think if we don't start now, we're not going to be ready uh, knowing hmm. that a quantum computer is expected to be available within 10 to 15 years, depending on whom you talk to. Right. Uh, and also because for certain, you know, those, they, this harvest uh, now decrypt later threat, right? So mm -hmm. threat actors can, you know, listen on our communications today and harvest all of that data and, and then decrypt it 10 years from now. Um, so the threat is is here. It exists today and, and we need to deal with it and we need to, to uh, mitigate it as soon as possible. All right. Well, interesting stuff as always. Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. That's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. 
Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Oh, 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 oh,